Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Essay Voices from the Field. Each week, we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. I'm your host, Dr. Corliss Bennett, and I am happy to have you here. This podcast is sponsored by NASPA. Today, I'm really excited to have two guests representing our enrollment management knowledge community, Mark Allen uh, Poizel and Ellen Newfield. Both of them are the co-chairs of the Enrollment Management KC. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, thank you. Glad to be here. Great. Let's start with Ellen. And Ellen, why don't you give us some information about what institution you're from, your position, what you do in your position, and any other institutional stats that you just may have handy. Well, good morning. Um, uh, As you said, I'm Ellen Newfell, and I'm at Old Dominion University. It is on a coastal Virginia area in Norfolk, Virginia. I'm at a university of about 24,000 students. About 20% of our students are graduate. It's a research-intensive university. Something else that I think really bears to this conversation is about 40% of our students are Pell eligible, and uh, about 43% of our freshman class uh, identify as first in college in their family or first generation. We are um, a minority-serving institution, and I would say one of the most diverse universities in the country, and also 25% of our students are military-affiliated here at ODU. This past year, we were 14th in the nation for the number of African-American graduates from our university and ranked in the top 15% on a scale measuring social mobility, which I think relates to our conversation today. I serve as the Vice President for Student Engagement and Enrollment Services here and work with the traditional student affairs areas as well as enrollment management, institutional research, government relations, and communications and marketing. Wonderful. You've got your plate full. You said student engagement and enrollment management? Yes. Okay, well, let's hear from Mark. Mark, why don't you tell us about yourself and your institution? So I'm at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock. We're an urban-serving institution in central Arkansas. Our enrollment is about 10,000 students, 20% of which are graduate students. We are research-intensive as well. About 48% of our freshman class is from a diverse, and our overall enrollment is 50% uh, diverse. And so we have uh, certainly a, a very mixture of students, including uh, military, a significant portion of returning adults, and really provide a comprehensive perspective for students and give them the opportunity to experience a research institution in an urban environment. I am the Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs, and my duties also include traditional student affairs along with enrollment management areas, including international and international services, and some non-traditional things. I have TRIO programs. I have um, some grant-based outreach programs for the local community, some high school-based programs as part of the entire portfolio where we focus on residential as well as commuting students. Interesting. So both of you are VPs or VCs, as you would. A lot of institutions do not necessarily enrollment management under student affairs. How does that favor with each of you at the institution? Is that always been the case or is that a merger that just happened in recent years? 
Well, I, I came to Old Dominion University. Our, our president uh, was putting together a new organizational structure, which included combining enrollment management student affairs as well as key student success functions. Um, it was a, a really about focused on student success through the entire student life cycle which is really where student affairs should be each and every day at the table. So for me, it's a natural fit, and it had been a part of my experience at my previous institution as well. Um, I think they go hand in hand together, and I really um, can't imagine separating them at this point. In my case, it was very similar. I came to the institution at the point where they were actually merging the two areas together so that enrollment in student affairs was under one unit with a really collaborative kind of focus, an opportunity to create a new vision and a new strategic plan. I had come from a previous institution where we had done the same thing while I was at the institution. And it's a trend actually we're seeing more. When NASPA did a recent survey, it was just under 50% of the institutions actually had merged student affairs and enrollment management. That's why I was thinking uh, there, there is that trend. I've been in both cases where enrollment management was separate and where enrollment management was a part of student affairs. So it's very different at each institution. But I'm currently at Humboldt State University, one of the California State Universities, one of the 23 campuses. And they just recently tried to merge enrollment management under student affairs, but then they turned back around and separated it. So it's very interesting. I guess it depends on the institution and how it works. Now, as far as the knowledge community that you all are the chairs of, is this your last year? Are you coming out next month or soon, or, or is, are you going into your second term? We are stepping away. <laughs> we, have, we have had the thrilling opportunity um, to start the Enrollment Management Knowledge Community with NASPA, which uh, I think is so key to the work of NASPA. Um, thrilled to have been a Part of starting it, but also uh, equally excited to um, give the leadership reins to two new co-chairs that are going to do a great job and are coming in as we head to the meeting in March. So tell me about the start of this, Casey. It actually started at a NASPA meeting in uh, 2016, where a group of us together were talking about the importance of student affairs and enrollment management, even when they're not linked together, they still have to work collaboratively together. And we thought, you know what, we need to begin developing resources and have conversations. And so Ellen and a few others said that this would be a good idea. And so we put a proposal together. We got it approved in December and we started our work in the early part of 2017, gathering some folks together, having some conversations. It was truly a grassroots effort, realizing that we needed to talk more about, and in particular, educate people around the role that student affairs plays in enrollment management, whether or not they're a combined division shouldn't matter. It's truly the impact that we have on recruitment, on retention, on the student experience, the student lifestyle, the student success. It's all really connected together when you think about enrollment at an institution. And particularly given where we are in higher education at the moment, anything we can do to positively influence enrollment at our institutions we're all looking at. Wonderful. No, and, and you're absolutely right. And um, as Ellen said um, earlier, it is very important because it's really a part of the student life cycle, the recruitment, the admission, the retaining, of course, comes from the student affairs side as far as having programs and services available 
at our institutions to help with the student life cycle. But, you know, going from after you've been admitted, I'm assuming orientation is under enrollment management. It usually is. I'm not sure if that's the case at your institutions and at some of your colleagues' institutions in the KC. But I know that it is definitely an important part of like what we call the cycle of a student. Did you want to mention any more about some of that? One of the things that I think is really important for the future of the student affairs profession in general is is looking at, when I teach my enrollment management class, I always say, uh, I want you to think of your job every day in, in terms of the student life cycle and where you fit on the enrollment management continuum. From the first point, uh, really thinking about students being successful from the first point of contact all the way through graduation beyond. And we, of course, we know career has become such an important and central role. So to me, it's just so important, especially in competing for resources and showing the value of the work that we do in student affairs to show how it fits in at every point along the student life cycle and their success at the university. We realize that a lot of our young professionals don't necessarily realize their direct impact on enrollment. So whether it's in housing and the work that they do in housing or in in student activities, that they impact students. They help us recruit and get them there. They help us retain them. We ha- they help them through the cycle, the whole student development component. But I don't think people were making the connection of what they do to the enrollment function, right? And so it's like you commented about orientation. For a lot of people, orientation might be in student affairs, but you know what? It's still a recruitment function, right? You're still getting students interested and want to be a part of your institution. And so I think it's, it's helping people just do a little bit of a, of a 180 in their thinking to really look at it from the student's perspective. And we call it the the student enrollment experience. It's from before we uh, even know who they are until after they graduate. It's all part of what happens so that they can have that positive experience that's going to help them achieve their educational goals. What can we do to enhance student support for low-income students and first-generation students? Right now, we've started a national center for social mobility here at OBU, and it's been a big topic for the enrollment management KC. In fact, we will be having, uh, it'll be a featured session at NASPA with Bob Morse, the lead data strategist from U.S. News, as well as Ed DePilar, who's a VP at EdTrust, to really talk about this issue and and how we can be a part of supporting low-income first-generation students I think that it's one of the most important things for student affairs to recognize their role as leaders in this area. Really focusing in on meeting the students where they are, it's not a one-size-fits-all, bringing together institutional data that we already have and that many times is collected right there in student affairs to target programs that will meet students' needs. There are three main areas that really need to collide in helping low-income first-generation students. One is obviously financial, really advocating for that financial aid, as well as having emergency grants, which many times are in student affairs areas, to make sure that that a student, many times a low-income student is, is one crisis away from stepping back. But that's got to be uh, come together with how we engage those students and looking at every practice we have and seeing if it really meets the needs of a first-gen low-income student who may not speak the language or it may not be a time uh, when when they can participate because many of them obviously have to work, really helping them navigate the the campus and engaging in the campus. And then, of course, there's 
the academic preparedness. So many times we sit and think it's one or, or, or a different advocate will say, if we just did this, we would be helping low-income students or first-generation students attain. But it's really about the intersection of all of those. And, and I think student affairs really should be at the forefront and leadership of, of this topic of, of helping uh, low income, and many times that's crossed with first generation students, graduate and also become successful with their career outcomes. This is not a time for our profession to sit back. We know how to lead in this way and we should really step forward and be at the forefront as social mobility is really becoming an emerging topic nationally. We also have to begin to realize and be upfront about who our students are. There's so many changing demographics in the country that we need to look now at the future. We know we're becoming more diverse than ever before, and that's only going to continue. And so we've got to look at how do we provide support to our students and their families to enhance their success and their ability to achieve their educational goals. We have to look at it I look at it from a perspective of wraparound student services or the whole student experience, right? And we have to put our arms around that and support the student in every way that we can, understanding that many of them are not going to be familiar with the collegiate experience. They're not going to be familiar with our language and the way we operate from a bureaucratic perspective. They aren't going to understand the the academic expectations of them. And we just have to remember that it's our role to communicate, to support, to lead them. I've been calling it a coaching model and we're trying to coach them through, you know, certain experiences, not because they can't do it, but just because they need that little extra understanding of the language, of the process, of the policies. And that's an important role that we can play. I can't go to class and and I can't do the homework for them, but I can help them navigate the system. I can support them in their efforts. I can make sure that my team is working with them and mentoring them and coaching them so that they can get to that outcome and get that that job and that career that they're looking for. And I truly, as a first-generation graduate, I truly am impressed with the thoughts that this particular KC is taking that kind of as a, as, a, as a role in the sense of making sure the best practices out there to help underrepresented, dis- economically disadvantaged students through the process. That's why I was talking about that cycle. You know, you start with recruitment, like I mentioned earlier, and then once you recruit, you have to figure out ways to retain students and making sure that all of the student services uh, slash student affairs services are available and that the student know how to utilize them. Would you say within your KC, what are some of those best practices that you've heard through some of the members of your KCs on, on, on this issue of providing the coaching model, the extra boost that never, what, 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 what are some of the best practices that you're hearing some of your members uh, discuss when it comes to that? Many times in the past in student affairs or other services, we basically said, if we build it, they can come. And we always said, well, we offered it. We didn't think that maybe nobody could figure out how to get there or really even knew if they needed it. And in a structured coaching model, the idea is is that the student and the family where appropriate is introduced to the coach as the student is entering the university. And they're having interactions at least every other week. And it starts with career goals in mind. That's another big piece is to integrate the career piece. So it starts with the, the career goals in mind navigating the campus and the goal setting. And and the whole idea around it is not to give or do something for the student, but to teach them how to be successful students so that 
they have that support through the first year. And then as they transition to the second year, they're taking that the new skills that they picked up through the coaching model and the support that they've had, and they're taking that on um, in successful progression. And we've seen many positive outcomes in terms of retention and GPA. And many times the students are outperforming the general class, and it may be that, that these students come in in, lower, in a lower income bracket or uh, with a lower GPA, which many times those two items usually or can go hand in hand. And yet um, we're finding that these students are outperforming their peers in certain metrics, uh, such as GPA and retention as they're moving through this program. It's also important, again, that it's coupled with um, some key financial help and, and making sure that uh, we're putting together financial aid models that are not only what we call yielding the student and bring them into the university, um, but also you, now there's metrics that help you know how much aid to get a student through to help them toward graduation. For example, here at ODU, we know if you meet 64% of a student's need from the FAFSA that they're more likely to graduate than not. So it's, it's being able, again, to tie them to both those practical financial resources along with the coaching. And I'll, I'll pause here because I, I want to let Mark jump in with some others. A lot of institutions have been working on their mentoring programs or their programs for special populations and, and helping them work with the students, particularly if they're first gen or from various special populations. And so we have to understand how we can mentor them through. But I think it's also important that we've got to get them through the basics initially. And so, you know, a lot of schools are looking at their one-stop shops and looking at their, what I call enrollment coaches, to make sure that the student can do that. We have a lot of students that that think they only fill out the FAFSA once, right, instead of every year. And so they, they need that intentionality piece to remind them of that. We have, we've taken the model, and I think a lot of the schools are, are looking at it going from a passive model to a much more proactive model, reaching out to the individual students saying, hey, guess what? Remember, you need to do this. Hey, guess what? We need to have you do this. And that proactive part that those that coaching or mentoring really becomes important. And it's, it's a combination. I mean, in some respects, we're still mentoring and coaching students through the student development life cycle. I mean, that's not changed, you know, when you're working with, you know, 17 to 24-year-olds. There's a lot that's still going on in their life. But we also have to remember that while that's going on, many of them are trying to work full-time, they're trying to go to school full-time, they're trying to balance its outside life. And we haven't really prepared them in significant ways to do that successfully. So we've got these additional programs. Again, it's that idea of wrapping our arms around them and to help them make the decisions they need to make. You know, and, and Ellen's comment about financial aid, you know, a lot of institutions are looking at their models. You know, so much of our scholarship programs are merit-based. Um, even our, our statewide programs are merit-based. And yet many of our low-income students, it's, it's financial need. And so we have to look as institutions, what's the right balance of merit and need-based aid? And some people are changing that. They're changing that component. Ellen mentioned you know, the emergency loan piece. That's becoming very significant right now because it's that one thing can stop a student. I mean, we often forget about it, but with a lot of our students, as soon as they hit the first road bump, right, they're done. That's all they can do. And so we've got to help them through that so that they, that they feel as if they can persist, that we have built up their, their self-confidence that... Every time they hit that roadblock, they figure out a way to get around it as opposed to a way to prevent them from going on. And so folks are really looking at those models, not to mention adding in, you know, the component of food pantries and career closets and 
you know, programs for students who are temporarily homeless. I mean, there's all kinds of initiatives that institutions are looking at, not as an ongoing thing, but as, hey, we got to get the student through the next three weeks. What do we do? Or we've got to get them through to their next paycheck. And uh, beginning to realize that part of our role is, is beyond the classroom, is beyond student development. It's survival and how that impacts their success. If I could just add on to that, and I think Mark Allen said it so well, um, but some of it is as basic as looking at what fees you have and when they're due, what deadlines you have, and if that really fits how a first-generation student would even know to be a part of something. We've had colleagues state that when they've been through their uh, summer programs or things leading into the, the fall, that sometimes deadlines uh, for, for key programs are, are at times where you have to be in the know to be able to even apply for it or to be a part of it. Or there's a barrier created by a fee that's just always been there. We see a lot of our colleagues that are just taking, stepping back and, and having to really examine the culture. And sometimes it, it's an unintentional culture uh, of what's creating a barrier. And, and that's, that's not an easy thing to do, but that's what we're hearing many times from members of the KC or when we do panels on this, is that, that taking a look at every piece of language, every deadline, every fee, everything that can offer an unintended consequence or an unintended barrier for the student. Absolutely. And Mark kind of, I was going to ask, and he actually mentioned it a little bit in the sense of I am noticing, and I think, I don't, I don't know if it's just kind of more in my face now since changing institutions from a private to a public state institution, but the increasing numbers of insecurities, the food insecurity, housing insecurity. And like I said, I'm not sure if it's because I came from a large private to a smaller public, but that seems to be like the, the, the terminology that hits all of the time. And it seems like it's across all institutions. Also, um, and I, so I just wanted to mention that because he talked about the food pantries and the career clothing drives and things of that nature. And as we wrap up, what, what is your take on how we are looking at health mental and physical health, because I know Mark mentioned about the whole student, and I'm definitely, um, as, a, as a cultural center director, I'm always saying, okay, what can we do to make sure that we are looking at the basic needs of the whole student? And a lot of folks seem to leave out that health piece. So um, just briefly, um, how's your KC looking at, you know, health, either mental, physical, or both? I think that one of the things that we maybe need to slightly clarify is that the issues that we're talking about, including the mental health piece, are affecting all students. It is a very different environment that we're in in higher education right now, whether it's the, the enrollment factors, but it's who's coming to college, right? And they're coming with so many different experiences in their life that really changes the way we need to do business. We have students who are great one semester and not the next, uh, whether it's mental health-wise or food-wise or financial-wise. And it's not all who we think it is. It's not just low-income students or first-generation students. It's our entire student population. And mental health is a perfect example of that. It is hitting across the entire dynamic, whether it's first-time freshman, a graduate student, an international student, a military student. You know, we've got to figure out how we, again, do those wraparound services and how we can manage the resources associated with them. I mean, as, as leaders, we know the challenges of the increased numbers in all of these areas and the cost associated with that. I mean, particularly think about counseling and mental health. 
you know, we've got waiting lists. We need more staff. Our students have uh, greater expectations of usage. All of those factors are happening, and yet our institutions are struggling with enrollment and budgets. And we haven't quite figured out how to manage the resource allocation piece so that we can provide those experiences for students so they can graduate. And it's tricky. It's a conversation about the holistic student and what that really means and making sure that students can manage it. I mean, a lot of times, even with with mental health issues, they they immediately see the stigma, right? Or they they don't want to uh, want that to be a part or affect their academic experience. And so it, it's tricky. You know, we've got some students that, you know, they'll be in the counseling center every week and that's what they need to manage their anxiety and their tests and the pressure. And then we've got students who are in crisis that need it. And so it's it's a tough balance of how we look at our entire institutional enrollment and the services that students need to be successful and manage the resources that it takes to provide that comprehensive wraparound experience um, to really help students graduate. That's why I wanted to bring that up because I know we always talk about the things that you guys have discussed. And I said, well, let's make sure that I wanted to make sure that our audience did hear about what you had to say about our um, health, mental and physical. Um, There is an alarming number of students that are coming to college already on medication, um, like you said, using counseling services. And so you're right. I mean, there's a there's a problem even in my institution. We need more counselors and students being on wait lists. And we've got to figure out ways to, um, you know, stay within our budget. But also, like you said, help that student, assist that student uh, with those mental and or physical issues. Yeah. So this enrollment management is a huge topic. And I would love for you um, to come back and, and maybe we can talk specifically about certain elements of enrollment services, enrollment management that will assist our colleagues in really focusing on the whole student. I think what's happening is we're getting hit in the head by it because of all the increased numbers of different things that are happening with students in the last five years that I think it would be a great idea to really focus and hone in on some of the aspects of enrollment management so that we can help, you know, we can assist and give ideas and best practices to our colleagues. Well, we would love to do that. I, I think that the way we, we tie it all together is so important for equipping our colleagues in the field and really to the future of our profession. Great. Well, I definitely appreciate what you do, having been a, a person has worked in enrollment services and in student affairs and as a first generation college graduate, knowing how important it is to utilize the student life, the student affairs services in order to get that degree to to be recruited, to be retained, and to graduate. And that's really what it's all about. So I appreciate both of you uh, being a part of our podcast today. And we'll definitely have to figure out ways to break down, because it's just not enough time in 30 minutes to break down enrollment services the way I would like. But I think if we would focus on maybe three to four of the main services that really help the basic needs of our students, the the whole student. I think that would be a great topic to come back. I know you're easing out your roles. As you said, Ellen, you're stepping away so happily. But I definitely would like to, since you guys are the beginnings of this KC, I would definitely love to continue to maybe break down, you know, and maybe do something on each topic or at least two topics in the 30 minutes. My goal is to help bring, you know, experts such as yourself to bring practical insight to what our profession 
is continuing to change and helping our student affairs professionals out there as much as possible so we can all learn from each other. So I thank you. My goal is to help bring, you know, experts such as yourself to bring practical insight to what our profession is continuing to change and helping our student affairs professionals out there as much as possible so we can all learn from each other. So I thank you. Stay tuned for more great podcasts to come. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. If you want to be a guest, tell us your story. Email us at savoices at naspa.org. You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time.